morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. You can follow along in your pew Bibles or in your bulletin. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Well, there was a rich man, lived a good life, came from a good family took care of him, always looked after him, made sure he had everything he needed. They also had money and they, they passed it on to him so he inherited and they made sure that he was taken care of after they passed on. However, he was pretty good with money too and he managed it well. He wasn't frivolous with it and it multiplied. He learned the lessons that his attentive parents gave him and uh, he had gone to the best schools, so he was very, very educated. He had many friends, not just because he had money, although some people, you know, have that, but uh, not just because he had money, because he was a likable kind of guy. His friends admired him because he kept such a beautiful house, and he threw the best parties uh, all the time, and he wore very nice clothes, and he was always washed and neat went to the best schools, was very educated, as I said before, so he could speak about many fascinating topics. And he'd traveled a lot. He'd been to many places and seen many things. So he, had, he always had great stories, and people would love to listen to him. He's very articulate. Uh, he had everything going for him, and his, his life was tr- truly seemed to be blessed. And everyone thought his life seemed, seemed blessed. There was also a poor man. A poor man who was was always hungry. His parents, they were beggars, as were 
their parents before them. He spent his time in the marketplaces begging or going from door to door in hopes of getting scraps from someone's dinner table. He had never been outside the city he was born in. He tried to work as a laborer, but because he was sick a lot, he really couldn't keep a job. All he owned were the torn clothes that he wore, and they had not been cleaned in a long time, so he, he kind of smelled bad. He was not very neat. He hadn't spent a lot of time learning much because he was spending so much time either trying to get better from being sick or trying to find something to eat. He really didn't have time to listen to smart people teach things. He didn't have many friends, and all he seemed to be able to talk about was food and his desire for it. He was ashamed. Poverty was ashamed of his disabilities. These men both die. One goes, we are told, to the side of Abraham, and the other is tormented in Hades, and there is a chasm between the two that cannot be crossed. And strangely, it is not the blessed rich man who stands in the place of honor, but the beggar and the rich man, but the beggar who stands there, and the rich man is the one who is tormented in Hades. What a different world the kingdom of God is. Things get all turned around. The last are first, the poor are rich, and the hurt are hurt no more. Jesus spent a lot of his time trying to point out that the kingdom of God was very much at odds with the world we live in. And this parable definitely demonstrates that justice is an eschatological rebalancing of the scales and a reversal of the current reality everyone found themselves in. Jesus wasn't making a case for, uh, uh, you know, be careful, you're going to go to hell, or do right, and you're going to go to heaven. Uh, in fact, there was nothing in particular, there's nothing grand about the beggar. He wasn't a particularly morally upstanding person, we're told. We're just told he was poor. And there was nothing in particularly bad about the rich man. He was just rich. So this is not so much about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell as much as it is about this, this notion of the kingdom of God, that justice in the kingdom of God is a reversal of the way the world is today. Those who have suffered are made full. Those who have reveled in excess are left empty. And the point is emphasized by the fact that the rich guy isn't even named here. Yet the unnoticed beggar is revealed to us as a man named Lazarus. An important thing, an important point. When Luke uses a person's name, when Jesus names this person, he's lifting him out of his 
not being seen into a place of honor. And the text this presents us with a moral challenge, the moral challenge of seeing and then making visible the invisible suffering of the world. On the one hand, technology has made it a pretty small world, and we are able to connect with people and places in ways we never have before. We you know, we watch wars happen on TV. We can connect to the suffering of it just about anywhere in the world. When tsunamis happen, they're recorded on live video and spread all over the internet. On the other hand, it is also easy in our place of privilege to turn it off or click away from suffering and injustice. I can sit in my comfortable room and just change what I'm looking at. Yet Christ would have us open our eyes and see the reality of the way the world really is. In Jesus' time, you did not get a rich man without there being a Lazarus somewhere. There was this give and take. You could not acquire wealth without taking it away from someone else. And pretty soon the domination system would require that some people be poor and in order for some people to be rich. And the rich man didn't have to be a bad guy or evil for this to even happen. He didn't have to do it intentionally. He probably, he may not, he didn't even have to really try. He just had to be born into the right space at the right time. The world was designed this way. It's how the domination system worked. Some people had most of the stuff and some people had next to nothing. And that's how the world worked. People didn't have to make it happen that way. It just worked that way. It was designed that way. It's a lot like some of the world we live in today. Where we don't have to try to see people fall into poverty. We don't have to work at it. It just seems to happen because of the design of our world and the system we live in. And we too are called and invited to open our eyes and see the truth of the world around us. The entire truth. Lazarus and the rich man still exist. The gap between the uber-wealthy and the poor is so ridiculously huge. Ridiculously huge. There are some people who have so much money, they would never be able to use it in a million lifetimes. They could solve six or seven different countries' financial problems for the next hundred years. There's so much money in the hands of so few people. And so we still see this same disparity. Or some of us see the same disparity and some close a blind eye to it. And it's not just when it comes to rich or poor, too. When people of color say black lives matter, we are called not to get all defensive and throw out a dismissive retort like all lives matter. 
we are called to see what is being shown to us and to boldly examine the reality of a system that has for centuries devalued and taken away the opportunities afforded to dominant culture. And in case I'm being vague, by dominant culture, I mean white culture. (laughs) Uh, If we pretend it is not real, then we do not have to do anything about it. And our privilege affords us the ability to pretend it's not real. That is the temptation we face and that is the sin we have engaged in when we say all lives matter and we close off our ears to what our African American brothers and sisters are trying to say to us and point out. When women start to speak out and expose the systems that have created unequal pay, unequal opportunity, and unequal treatment when it came to work and opportunity for education. And when women start to expose the misogyny that has made them the objects of hostility and harassment in the workplace, we are called to open our eyes and to see what is being shown to us in non-defensive ways. And, you know... When it comes to men, we're so, we ought to sit down and shut up and listen to what is being said. When people fleeing violence and poverty are called illegal and treated as criminals, we have to open our eyes to a system that is designed deliberately to make it next to impossible to come into the country legally if you are Hispanic. Because if you are fearful that you are going to get sent back, we can exploit you for labor at a fraction of the cost of people who have civil rights. And sometimes it's so easy to to look away from that because no one wants to pay $3 for a tomato. We like our cheap vegetables. You don't get cheap vegetables without exploiting migrant workers. That's a fact. (laughs) In the meantime, people are dying and we can't help but see these children who are being tormented by this system. Uh, A system that chooses to punish poverty and people seeking to run away from violence. When we have been told over and over for decades the environmental crisis is at a tipping point only to be undermined by those who have a vested interest in unrestricted access to greenhouse producing oil, I don't know what to say. It is our calling to listen to science and to act. And you know, sometimes I'm not just, and here I'm talking about big giant things that are, that are, kind of controversial and, and but buttons that push people. But sometimes the realities and the pain of uh, the that we're not seeing go so much deeper and we have these are the things that are easy to say, I see is I guess is what I'm saying. Sometimes it's harder to see what God is calling us to open our eyes to. The pain is much deeper 
I sat in a worship service once where the speaker spoke about abortion in the most black and white terms and in the most condemning way they possibly could. And I just looked around and I wondered how many of these good Christian women he had just condemned so eagerly and so easily in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us. And how many of us have experienced times when we have just that deep pain and we wish someone would see it, but we don't have the words to share it? The Holy Spirit begs us to look deep, to open ourselves up, open our eyes to see the pain of this world. And to see that the kingdom of God is different. And to see that why the reason Jesus tells us a story like this is because we can make things different. We can live into the kingdom of God. And in fact, this poor rich man begs Abraham to go and to make sure people know they can do things differently. They can change the world. They can transform the world. And and they can change it. It can be overwhelming. It can be depressing sometimes. It can feel like we are helpless and hopeless and things are out of control. But the rich man even wants us to know, please go tell my brothers they need to change their ways. They can change what's going on. They can move in a different way. Like uh, Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And uh, when, when uh, uh, not Bob Marley, uh, <laughs> the other Marley, <laughs> came to him in an effort to change him. And what Abraham says is, they have the news already. They have Moses. They have the prophets. They've been told that this is not the world that God created. They've been told that God has something better in mind. They have been told that there is a life and there is enough. There is enough for all of us. There is enough for all of it to go around. They have been told that God loves everybody, including all of those who have been left out. In Jesus' day, it was the prostitutes and the lepers and the tax collectors. In our day, it's the homosexuals and the transgenders and all, we can go down the list and the, the his, you know, the, the immigrants and all the people who've been shoved to the side and told, wait a minute, you're less in God's eyes. No, that is not true. They've been told. And Abraham says, and, and the rich man says, no, 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 they need something really big like someone rising from the dead. And Abraham says, well, even if that happened, they wouldn't listen. But we have someone who rose from the dead in order to say, okay, fine, I'll raise from the dead. Now do you believe me? Amen? Amen. <laughs> we have Jesus Christ who came to show us a new way that the kingdom of God is different and that we have been empowered to make that difference happen. Amen? Uh, Sometimes I don't think you believe it. (laughs) 
We have the power to make things different. Amen. 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 Jesus has given it to us. We have Moses. We have the prophets. And we have the Holy Spirit that works and breathes and lives within each of us that draws us together to fulfill a vision and a calling from God that will have this world not knowing what hit it. We can change this, and it's frustrating. I, I, I have some trolls on, online that, go, that have been going to my sermons lately and making awful comments about how I'm leading people astray and Satan is in me and all this kind of stuff. And it's nothing new, but it, it, it amazes me. How there are, there are always going to be people who read the glorious, wonderful words of Jesus Christ and see something so completely different. We can't be bothered with that. We are too busy doing the will of the loving, affirming, inclusive God. We don't have time to fight about... It's a luxury to fight about those things. We don't have time for it. We have got to be about the things of God, living out this gospel that Jesus came to demonstrate, to die for, and to rise from the dead that we might know and believe. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. A loving and gracious God, we hear this very challenging moral message It's not very often I I get to preach on a moral thing, God, but we, we hear this moral message that we have been called to open our eyes and see the world. See the world the way it is, yes, but not to despair, but to also see the way the world was meant to be and the way the world could be. If we follow you and if we are faithful to our calling, in you, and if we just allow you to lead us. Uh, Guide our steps, God. Inspire us. Um, Convict us. And give us all we need to accomplish this and more than we could ever imagine. In the name of Jesus, we pray.